borrow at 6%, sell it at 8.99%, and make the spread for however long that lasts. Okay. So people are going to wonder, where can I find 6% or even 8.5% if you call all the lenders in town, they're all at 12%, right? Yeah. So the answer is... You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Welcome to another episode of The Azria Show. As always, Myself and Mike Delpreet, the executive director of Azria, we're here to provide you with more quality content from those that are doing deals right here in the Valley. And today we have Nate Tanner, and he has a very, very special story we want you guys to hear. For all of you guys that believe that, hey, I can't do it because I'm remote, I live somewhere else, where we're going to do some myth busting on today. But before we do that, we always got to go to our executive director and ask him, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, man. Thanks for asking. I'm going to bring the energy because Nate's here. Yeah, I know. And I know you just you just had your coffee percolating. So yes, yes. I know give you about 10 minutes. We'll, we'll be ready to rock and roll. <laughs> so, Nate, introduce us to Nate Tanner. Because I know you've been a member of Azria for a number of years. So kind of give us your backstory. Okay, so I think I probably joined Azria in around 2009, 2010, and if I joined it sooner, I would have been a lot better off, but I was originally a software developer, and at the same time, I always thought real estate was very interesting and, and exciting, so I started doing it on the side. My okay. first deal was exactly 20 years ago, 2002, I did a new build, had a home built. I partnered with the builder. So he built it, I financed it, and we flipped it and split it 50-50. So that was my first deal. Kind of an unusual place to start. Wow. But, very, um, very, very unusual place to start. Yeah. Right? Someone jumps in, it's like, I'm going to wholesale or something less risk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I built a house. So that's wonderful. Man. So tell us about that. Like, yeah. But yeah. You, how'd you go from like, what, there was no limiting beliefs there, nothing like I'm about to build a house. Like, what may, that's awesome. Yeah. So it, it just kind of fell into my lap because I had a friend who did a similar deal with that same builder okay. and he told me about it. And I met with the builder and was like, okay, you're going to do everything. I just have to get the loan and put up with some money and I don't have to really take much time away from my job and okay, let's do it. So we did okay. it. It worked out. It didn't work out great because it, it took a long time to sell, but it was in Apache Junction. I think that was the main reason it was kind of slow. 2002, the market was just starting to ramp up mm-hmm. toward, toward the big peak in 0506. It got me a taste of real estate. And then I also bought a couple of rentals around that time. So you were primarily the bank for this builder, correct? Exactly. I got a, a loan from Countrywide, if you remember that name. Yep, yep. So they, they went bust in the, the crash. Got okay. by Bank of America. But yeah, that, that was all I did really. Get the loan, put up a little bit of money, and then go check out the house and say, hey, why hasn't it sold yet? 
What was what was the verification process or the screening process for you and the builder? Because I know you said that you had a had a friend that did some work with the builder before it did a house. Was there anything that you said, but let me, before I just jump all in and give this guy 200 grand or 300 grand or whatever it was, did you do any vetting on him? I don't think so. And obviously that was wow, Nate. Not, a, not a great idea, but I just trusted my friend. He'd had a good experience with it. And and I was like, sure, sounds good. And I didn't put up a, much money. I think we we sold it for 140 or so. So we, we probably had a loan from the less than a hundred thousand. And so it's not big numbers. I'm not putting up two, 300,000, like you yeah. mentioned, but still, I obviously should have done more due diligence, but I just said, yeah, sounds good. Let's give it a shot. And the reason why I speak on that is because a lot of people, they, like Mike was saying, they have those self-limiting beliefs. Well, I don't know this person. What if you try and rob me? What if he scams me? You had a, somebody that did a deal with them. So you were just, you were just comfortable in saying, all right, this is what I want to do. Let's do it. You didn't let anything hold you back and stop you from doing that. I've always kind of been a ready, fire, aim mentality. And that sometimes works out well and sometimes doesn't. But in that case, it worked out well. Awesome. Well, it seemed like it's working out well for you because, I mean, you have longevity. You've been a real estate investor since 03 or whatever. So it's it's been working out for you. Yeah. What you do next? What you do next? What was after that? So I had a couple of rental properties. I was actually trying to rent rooms to students over by Mesa Community College. And that sort of worked out, but it was a lot of work. And then I started going to some seminars and started flipping properties. And 2006 was when I jumped in full-time. I had a, an internet business that I sold at that point. And I was like, what do I do now? Well, I like real estate. I've been doing a little bit on the side. Let's just do that. So obviously 2006, worst possible time to jump into real estate. <laughs> yep, yep. So I had one particular flip that I remember that I bought the house for 300,000. It's in South Phoenix, but it was a newer property, 2,800 square feet. And I did literally less than $500 worth of work and I sold it for 400,000. Wow. And I didn't make the whole 100,000 because I offered a 10% realtor commission to, to get some buzz going and, and get the word out. And so I maybe made 50, but that was like, mind-blowing to me at the time and so then I jumped in and started really doing a lot of flipping at the worst possible time in, in the history of real estate so I ended up when the crash happened I got stuck with six properties at 18 percent interest that were all way underwater Whew. wow yeah wow. So, so if you remember that time most people just let them go and yeah. and that probably would have been the smartest thing to do but I was a, a little too stubborn and so I didn't let him go. What I did was I brought in partners who could qualify for a bank loan. So we got rid of the 18%. We were still underwater, but we had a more manageable payment. And then we sold them with seller financing for higher than the market value. Mm. And so we were able to get out from under these properties, make a tiny bit of money and not 
let them all go to foreclosure, not let our lenders get screwed. I mean, that's good because me and Mike, we just did a prior podcast on having multiple exit strategies. And that was one of the things that we talked about was sometimes you get into these deals and they look good on paper. Everything looks wonderful. But then the market takes one small shift. Well, back in back then, it was a huge shift. <laughs> but that that one shift as an investor, that's when you have to become creative and say, well, what can I do with this asset? What can I do with this property? And you went the creative finance route. Yeah. So I had gone to a seminar about seller financing and I was like, this seems like the only way to get out of these. So we did it, it worked. And then of course we thought, wow, this worked for these crazy underwater properties. What if we bought properties right at a discount and still offered the seller financing? What would that look like? And the numbers looked amazing. So pretty much that was what we did the whole downturn 2008 to 2012 and still been doing it ever since. Since that time, we usually just offer the property for cash, for regular financing, and also offer it for seller financing. And whoever comes along gets the property, but that greatly expands the, the pool of potential buyers. So it's, it's been okay. a really good system for us. Man, so, so I just remember, I, I think I was on all your email list, man. I've been getting your emails for 10, 12 years, man. Super consistent. You're always doing it. So what, what are some things like, so it's kind of like a blessing and a curse kind of thing, right? Like, like something crazy happened. You got creative. You did the seller carry back. And then now that's your mainly a part of your, your career, your strategy. Exactly. So, so what are some of the first things that like, that you besides saving your situation or helping your situation, what did, what appealed to sell a carrybacks to you? Like what was appealing about it? So in general, seller financing to me is the way to get the most money out of each deal. I guess you, you could say like, if you're trying to just bring that last little bit out of profit out of the deal. And I have an example that I sometimes share with people to to try to explain how that works. So basically, if you look at a, a typical deal, and I'm going to use low numbers, just to use round numbers, but you can multiply them by two or by three, depending on the market prices. But if you buy a property for 70,000, that needs 30,000 worth of work to make it retail for 140, let's say, mm-hmm. what, what are you going to do with it? If you're a wholesaler, you're going to mark it up 5,000 and, mm-hmm. and be out of it. Yep. If you're a flipper, you're going to spend 30,000, sell it for 140 and make 25 after carrying costs and commissions and everything. So that sounds like a better deal than wholesaling, but it's a lot more work. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also what we call wholetailing, where you basically clean it up and then put it on the MLS and you might make 10 or 15 going that route instead of just assigning the property to somebody else through regular wholesale deal. But my favorite is to what I call clean and flip, where you clean it up, mark it up and sell it with seller financing. So let's say you put 5,000 into it to get it cleaned up. You sell it for 105, 110, make 30,000 on the, the markup, but then you also make the interest over the next five, 10 years. So in the end, you make over 50,000. So that, that was always kind of our goal is make over, do minimal work and make over 50,000. 
can, can we dive into that a little bit? Like yeah, some of the numbers and stuff. Do you mind? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, like, oh yeah, Marcus, shoot for it. Okay. So what I, what I wanted to ask you for one, and this is probably jumping ahead. Are you servicing the note? Or are you using an independent third party to service the note? We use a third party called West Star, West Star Pacific Mortgage. When we first started doing it, we just looked around and said, who's the cheapest one? And at the time they were the cheapest. I don't know if they still are. The prices have gone up a little, but they, they do a good job. So we're still using them. Okay, perfect. Go ahead, Mike. Are, are you bringing in, so you're, so you're out, you're looking through wholesale lists, you're looking at MLS, you're shopping for deals, you're getting referrals, and then you find a property. And so it sounds like you said clean and flip. So like, you're not looking for distressed junker houses, or are you? Yes. So actually those sometimes work the best for this strategy, because if I can buy it super low, clean it up, then I can sell it to an investor with seller financing, which is a lot less of a headache than selling it to an owner-occupant and having to deal with the Dodd-Frank jumping through all those hoops to sell to an owner-occupant. Okay. But either way, it works out. So backing up just a little, the question people are probably going to have is, how can you do that? Where are you, where are you getting the money to carry? That was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> so we've just always borrowed money from private individuals, and it's generally been around 6%. So we borrow at 6%, sell it at 8.99% and make the spread for however long that lasts. Okay. So 6% money in the today's market is a little harder to come by. We've actually been paying 8.5% recently, but it still works out. So people are going to wonder where can I find 6% or even 8.5%? If you call all the lenders in town, they're all at 12%, right? Yeah. So the answer is... If you call 20 of your friends, you'll find somebody that wants to lend you money. And it might be 50 now, but if you spend one day calling people, you'll find some money. Hear that, Marcus? Yeah, Mike, I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. Like, so you're so you purchased the property with a private partner. And are they equity? Are is it equity partners? Or oh no, no, you're just paying their, their first lien position. Yeah, first lien. Lenders. Now I when the market was down, I did do a number of joint ventures where the money partner would have equity in the property, either by putting up the money or by getting a, a bank loan on the property. And then we would wrap it and do the seller financing. But these days we're just all just strict debt partners, debt lenders. Okay. So, so you run the show, your private money comes in, whether the property comes in, you buy it. Now you got it, it's cleaned up, it's ready to go. And then, so, so then you structure the terms. So can you tell us a little bit about down payment, monthly payment and sales price? Like what, how you think through that? Yeah, so it, it depends a lot on the condition of the property. If it's a fixer upper, we'll sell it with 10,000 down. If it's a full remodel, then we're figuring it'll probably not go seller financing, but we still offer that and still typically 10 to 15% down. But with the prices being where they are, if you're buying a $500,000 house at 8.99% interest, it usually doesn't make sense. So in the last three, four, five years on the remodels that we've done, those have mostly all been just regular flips sold for cash to someone who's getting a bank loan at 3% interest. Now with the bank loans being at 7% interest, there's not that big of a 
a gap between the money that we're offering. So that we could see more of that happening on the, the retail flips as well with the seller financing. But generally it's worked better on the, the lower price properties. So nowadays lower price means fixer upper, but a few years ago, lower price could just mean a, you know, a smaller property. Okay. And then now, so since you're borrowing the money and there's a first lien position, right? For mm-hmm. acquisition and all that stuff. So now are you, then you're putting out at a higher price. So I'm assuming, are you like wrapping? Is it, are these wraps pretty much? Exactly. They're all wraps. Explain, explain what a wrap is and maybe kind of educate yeah. us on that. Yeah. So wrap just means that I'm borrowing money. I have a loan on the property and then I'm selling the property without paying off that loan. And so with seller financing, there's two loans, one that I'm the borrower and one that I'm the lender. So I, I sell the property, I offer the financing at a higher interest rate and I make the spread, what they call in the banking industry arbitrage. Yeah. So if I'm borrowing at six and lending at 8.99% interest, then I'm making about 3% interest. And then also there's a markup on the property as well. So there's a, a few different ways to make money there. Okay. Awesome. And with all those contracts and paperwork, man, how, how can I even do it? Where do you get this paperwork? Do they, <laughs> that's what's right. going through your heads, right? So like, did you something you got an attorney to do, or did you kind of build your own puzzle as you went? Yeah, I, I kind of built my own puzzle. So I started doing it and I would just get documents from title companies. And then I ran into John Burley doing it for a few years. I thought I invented it. He thought he invented it. He was doing it 20 years before I was doing it. But I got some of his paperwork and kind of adjusted my paperwork with some of his stuff. And I've had some attorneys look at different things over the years. But yeah, it has been a kind of a hodgepodge putting things together. But if you're starting out, you've never done it before. If you're using the right title company, they can they can provide all the paperwork. Love it, man. Yeah, John Burley's uh, events coming up in November. I, 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 I was texting him. I was like, I'm going this time, man. I've been waiting, thinking about it for years. I just never went to like the, the training. So awesome. So, as you, so you went through John Burley's stuff as well? I went to a couple of his things. And when you say went through his stuff, I didn't like go all in and yeah. join his program. But but yeah, it was it was very interesting to you know, hear somebody basically doing all the exact same stuff I was doing and and kind of get his perspective on it. Right, right. And you're and now you're doing all of this from South America. That's true. I'm living in Ecuador at the moment. Okay. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna take a brief break here, word from our sponsors. When we come back, we're gonna talk about how Nate is doing this from Ecuador and still securing deals right here in the valley. So we'll be right back. Are your real estate dreams on hold? With work, kids, everything else going on, time is limited. Most days you feel like the world's on your shoulders. You might even say to yourself, if I just had someone to lean on and push me in the right direction, I know things would happen quicker. Well, then you need to check out the Deal Finders Club, a community of investors eager to close more deals, sign more contracts, and just get ahead in life. The DFC provides weekly coaching, thriving online community, and all the education you need to be confident. DFC is your fastest path to closing more deals. To learn more, head over to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. 
All right, guys, we are back with Nate Tanner. And Nate, as you guys have heard earlier, he's doing these deals from Ecuador, South America. So, Nate, for one, why Ecuador versus someplace else? Why did you decide to go to Ecuador? Well, it was kind of my wife's fault. Okay. We've been teaching our kids. We've got three kids. We've been teaching them Spanish since they were born, pretty much. And they're actually getting pretty good at it. And so we've been thinking for a few years, we need to go somewhere else where they can have real immersion in Spanish. Wow. And I thought Mexico is next door. Right. Let's go there. It would be the easiest thing. But my wife was just scared of Mexico being violent. So my opinion, it's probably no more violent than anywhere else unless you live in Juarez or somewhere. But it was a, a no-go for her, Mexico. So, so are you from Ecuador or your wife from Ecuador? No, no. Oh, wow. Okay. No connection to Ecuador whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. So like you said, just fire, aim, shoot, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so I read some blog posts by a guy named Chad Carson, who's a bigger pockets guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He spent a year in Ecuador. So that was one of the places on my list just because of that. And so we, we looked at various countries, Panama, Chile, but Ecuador seemed like a good option and maybe the safest. It's hard to really evaluate these things very well, but the city we came to, there's a, a lot of Americans that live here and that, that think it's the best place. So, so we ended up just pointing at the map and saying, okay, that's where we're going. Awesome, man. Perfect. So, so what gave you the, I don't know, not, not, not see confidence, obviously that's a big move, right? Pack up the kids, take them out of school or whatever it may be, go to another country. You got your business here, your family, your life. Like, so how that, how that happened? Yeah. In many ways, it was, it was a big leap of faith to say, okay, we're doing this no matter what. Um, And it took a, a lot of not giving up because it's not really that it's scary to do it. It's, it's just that it takes so much figuring out to, to put your Arizona life on hold and to jump in to live in somewhere else. But we managed to do it. And I've been really actually surprised and pleased at how easy it is to work remotely. Mm-hmm. I pay extra 50 bucks to T-Mobile. And my U.S. phone number works the same. Okay. And then they have what's called remote online notarization or RON. Mm-hmm. And so I'm signing all these deeds and loan docs and everything on the internet. And it's no different than if I was at home, pretty much. Love it. So so can you tell us some, the importance, I'm assuming, of, of a team, real estate team, all right? Because obviously you have someone's looking at the property or touching it in some level for you. So Talk about, the, talk about your team? Absolutely. So that's always been one of my weakest points is, is hiring and having a good team. And so I end up doing roles when I would be better off just focusing on what I'm best at, which is finding deals and negotiating and, and putting financing together and that kind of thing. But I do have a really great acquisition partner He's been working with me since 2013. So he finds the deals. 
whether they come in through our marketing or whether it's something he finds in some other way, he finds the deals and negotiates the purchases. And then I've got a project manager who manages the remodels. And I'm missing one piece right now, which is the office manager slash project manager. I mean, not project manager, office manager slash property manager. So I've got an empty seat there in the office for that person. And it makes it so me and my partner and my project manager are always doing a little bit more than our, our regular role. So hopefully we'll find someone soon to, to fill that role. Okay. So, so let me ask you this, Nate. So you spoke about the marketing before we even go there, because I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around you just picking up and moving to Ecuador. How long did that transition take? Did it take you a year to decide with the wife, two years? And then once you made the decision, how long, how long did it take for you to actually make that transition? Let's see if I know the answer to those questions. Um, okay. <laughs> we've been talking about doing it for several years and probably one year ago, we figured out where we were going and what we were doing, something like that. But then just coming down to that last month of like figuring out all the stuff and we almost were able to get our visa before we left, but then we didn't know that we had to get all the documents translated. So we just came here on a tourist visa and still working on getting our longer term visa so we can okay. stay in 90 days. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you need that. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of juggling, a lot of loose ends, and we just had to take the leap of faith and say, okay, we know like there's a lot of stuff that we haven't finished. Like for example, renting out our house, we, we were still in the process of deciding what to do with it. And we just left. When it was time, we bought a plane ticket and we got on the plane. And, and the, reason why, the reason why I ask that is because a lot of people, and I'm guilty of that too, is like, I got to see everything figured out. Okay, step one, step two, step three. What if something happens in step one? Now I got to go back and things like that. So it's good to see. And guys that are listening, we want you to know that you're not going to have everything figured out. Sometimes you just have to go. And like Mike said, you build that airplane or that parachute on the way down. And <laughs> oh, while you're flying, we ain't going down, Marcus. <laughs> build the plane while you're flying. Not, not okay, well, build, build the plane while you're flying and figure it out because you're not going to have all of the answers. And that's where, Nate, like you said, that faith steps in. You got to have the faith and the confidence to say, okay, me and my wife, we're on the same page. This is what we want to do. All right, let's just do it. And let's stop trying to plan it, figure it out. Let's just do it. And then we'll make things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Mentally, it was a a big challenge to, to say, okay, even though there's a ton of loose ends that aren't going to be resolved. We're going. Yep. Yep. So, so tell us about, about the marketing. So you're doing, you're doing the marketing and you're getting these deals coming in. You have your boots on the ground and your team here in Arizona. What kind of marketing are you doing to really drum up these, these leads? So for the last probably eight years, we were, 90% just online marketing. And 
recently we did some more direct mail before the market turned we were doing more direct mail and our online marketing so that that's really about it before that we were doing all the stuff banded signs networking and and flyers and everything we could think of to try we were doing it all but the the thing that worked was pay-per-click pretty much okay that, that was 90 percent of our deals over the last eight years but in the last few months for the first time in over a decade we're buying from wholesalers just because with the market turning we're seeing actual deals out there if the market keeps going down they might not turn out to be such good deals but uh We've bought several properties from wholesalers recently that look like they're going to be good deals. But I mean, okay. like, can you even, can you say like, uh, yes, if the market keeps going down for but what, what you're structuring is uh, as long as the payment's affordable for the end user, right? And your cash flowing, you got that long-term, do you do like a 10-year balloon or what do you, what do you guys do? Eight-year. <laughs> eight-year balloon. So, I mean, eight years potentially could be enough time to turn around a little bit, right? Like there's no, what I'm saying there is even if the market drops and you just cut a deal today and it drops another 10, 20%, you're still good. Yep. With our seller financing strategy, it's fairly recession proof. Not totally because yeah. we do have a couple of properties that overpaid for that are still on the market, one in Sun City and one in Surprise. But we've got out of a lot of properties that I, when we bought them and the market went down, I thought, hmm, we might in a little bit of trouble but with the seller financing there's always a buyer who they can't get a bank loan but they want to purchase a property whether that's an investor or a regular owner occupant so it, it greatly expands your pool of buyers and and helps with your margin of error so my question on that is like marcus brought up your marketing pay-per-click to get the deal so what kind of are you always looking for that end buyer building that list is there marketing for that end of it as well yeah, so we've got a large email list of people who have just in inquired about previous deals or just joined our email list because they're interested in, in properties with seller financing. So usually that's all it takes is sending it out to our list. And also we post on Craigslist. And then if those two items don't work, then we post on MLS. And pretty much we don't usually get past those three. Gotcha. Wow. Can, can, a whole, can a wholesaler sell your property to an end user if they have all, they can meet all your terms? I'm sure the answer is yes, but I'd have to think through exactly how to how to deal with the wholesale compensation portion of it. But yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just thinking, I know someone right now that has 40K down and they're in Youngstown and they're trying to move into West Phoenix. So I'm just I'm going through your emails right now just to get some questions. I'm like, that one in West Phoenix right now, right? So I'm like, how yeah. do I get paid? <laughs> so cool. Yeah, man. so we're at, we can absolutely compensate people, and we we have a lot of bird dogs who are on our list who sometimes bring us buyers. And if they're a licensed agent, then of course we can pay them commission. If they're not, we do an assignment of yeah. the whether it's a seller finance deal or in the past, sometimes a, a lease option. So the wholesaler, which usually they're not exactly wholesalers, but let's say they were a wholesaler, they would be the buyer and then they would get an assignment fee, mm -hmm. just like a regular wholesale deal. And then they would be selling it to the end user with the wholesaler finance deal. So of course we jump in and, and take it from there, but 
Awesome. So really, it's just it's just regular wholesale. Yeah. You're just wholesaling your term, Nate's term. Just with different paperwork. Yeah. So simple. Yeah, people, I, I think a lot of people don't understand that, especially if they're newer. They used to just say low cash offer, assign the low cash offer. But when people like Nate have those creative terms out there, you guys, still, it's just another product in wholesaling. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you find it, I guess, people that don't, that don't have good loan or good credit and they need to go this route, they're still good borrowers. But like, are you finding that it's easy? You have to be at the low down payment or like, how high can you go for a down payment? Where do you like the, the fall in? Yeah, so back in the downturn, 2008 to 12, when we were buying properties for 20, 30, 40,000, we, we sold a lot on lease purchases with 1,900 down, 3,900 down. Mm-hmm. And that works well, but of course you get a lot more of those back. So yeah. we like to get at least 10% down, Okay. except on a major fixer upper, then we'll sell with 10,000 down. Got it. Because that was going to be my next question is like your, your foreclosure rate when you have to foreclose or take the property back. Is there a certain percentage of, let's say 3%, 8%? What's that fallout rate? Yeah, so it's pretty much been 0% as we've ridden the market up because all these people have 100,000, 200,000 equity. So they're not not walking away. But back in the downturn, like I mentioned, where we were buying cheap, selling cheap, getting low down payments, we probably had 10 to 15% fallout. Okay. And do you, going on that question, do you have like a, What's it called? Is it like a performance deed? Do you have any way that allows you to take the property back faster or do you have to go to traditional route? Yeah, so for the paperwork with the seller financing, you can do a regular mortgage, which in Arizona is typically a deed of trust. Mm-hmm. And in that case, even though you're seller financing, the foreclosure process is all the same as if it was a regular bank loan, but we use a different piece of paper called an agreement for sale. Mm-hmm. And so that makes the default process a little different. And typically we can get the property back in, in 50 days instead of 90 days. So it's okay. not a huge difference, but an agreement for sale, most people have heard of it as being called a land contract or contract yeah. for conveyance or contract for deed. It just means that the deed stays with the account servicing company. So they get what's called equitable title up front with the agreement for sale. And then they get the fee title after they pay us off and the payoff deed gets recorded. Got it. Got it. Cool. Good tip. Good information. Good information. So Nate, coming to the end, wrapping up here, man, how do we get in touch with you. If somebody want to reach out to you and say, Hey, Nate may have a house that we want to do this with, or, Hey, I want to learn. How do we get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. You guys can put my phone number on your, your post for the show or whatever, but I'll give you my email for people out there. It's just Nate and A-T-E at hasslefreehouses.com. Okay. So you guys heard it there. Nate at hasslefreehouses.com. Nate, thank you so much. Mike, did you have anything else you want to interject? 
No, man. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. So if you're, if you appreciate this information, send Nate deals, send them end users, send them buyers, just reach out to them man. private uh, lenders, private lenders, send them money, whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. But thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Cause thank you so much, Nate. I mean, we, we probably got to have you back on because we didn't even talk about the private lending piece. We just kind of glossed over that but that's a that's a major piece in order to, to secure those deals so yeah it's, we'll it's definitely... a crucial piece without that you you got nothing really if you're trying to do seller financing so yeah so we'll we'll definitely have you back on to discuss that sounds great all right thank you so much nate thank you guys what to do this is the asria show get out there take the information and take action so we will see you in our next episode next week Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.